That's a long way up today. Hello, everybody. Hello. My name is Ben, but just as we start, let me pray, and then we'll ask the Lord to speak to us. Father God, we thank you for all the carols we've been singing so far. We thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful truths they contain. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to sing them later on, Lord, we would see more of your glory revealed through them. But Lord, we now, as we turn to your word, to that passage in Matthew chapter 1, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see wonders. Help us to, to reorient our lives around this message of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what your answer to the first question was. Anyone brave enough to shout out what, what they're really hoping to find in their Christmas present this year or from Amazon Prime? This, think of it like a Christmas list. If you say it and somebody's with you, then they might get it for you. Yeah? No? You don't, you're not, no one's brave enough. A new watch. There you go. A new watch. Well, let me tell you, Christmas often disappoints. I hate to tell you that, all these things you were talking about earlier, but Christmas does often disappoint. I remember as a child getting always excited to go and see Santa Claus at the, um, you know, the, the uh, what do they call it? The grotto, that's it, the grotto. Went, went to the grotto to see Santa Claus, and I always got excited particularly by the little thing that went under, come meet Santa Claus on the sign, and it was free toy for every child. I remember getting so excited by the idea of getting that free toy. I wasn't particularly bothered with me, meeting a big hairy man and sitting on his knee, but I was really excited about getting the free toy. And you know what was going on in my mind? Free toy. Yeah, I know every other kid gets junk, but you know what I'm going to get this year? Santa's going to give me Optimus Prime action figure. I know it. Shiny, new, big and expensive. Every other kid, that's what I'm going to get. I'm, I'd, and I'd go in and, I'd, and of course, I'd come out with a little plastic fishing rod worth 20 pence. You know, and I was disappointed. You know, and yes, it is because I'm a, a greedy, selfish seven-year-old. But really, deep down, we're all a bit like that, aren't we? But, um, it, but Christmas actually is, is more like that. Think about it. We build up over the whole of Advent, 24 days, and we talk about goodwill and, and cheer, uh, goodwill to all men, and, and Christmas cheer, and we, we think about wonderful lights and wonderful times with our families, and, and opening our presents and all sorts of stuff like that. And often. At the end of it all, we end up with credit card debt, and we end up with arguing families, and we end up with things that Christmas just, just does not live up to what we expect it to. And of course, Christmas is, you know, it does have the message to it, doesn't it? Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And we know that. But often it fails to live up to those standards. And it's become a bit of a chine, and people will ring bells, and they might... might um, Shout that up up the streets. But the reality is, it isn't that we need to have a lower expectation of Christmas. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, what I'm going to help us to see tonight, what I hope we will see tonight, is that actually what it is, is we've lost, to some degree, what Christmas is really all about. See, we talk about peace on earth, we talk about families living together in harmony and all that sort of stuff, but Christmas ultimately isn't about that. Yes, that, that, that's, that's, something, that's a side effect to what Christmas is all about. But the power and promise of Christmas isn't Christmas cheer. The power and promise of Christmas is actually found in baby Jesus and who he grows up to be. And often we, we can talk about all those other things. But if Jesus isn't in the center of it, then Christmas will never live up to our expectations. 
So the reality is, it's not that we need a, a, a more realistic view of Christmas. Actually, we need a bigger view of Christmas. We need a, a better expectation, a better realization that Christmas is even better than we imagined it would be. And that's what I want to try and do this evening by looking at that, that first, I think it was the second reading we had in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And it's a story of Joseph. And often we can overlook Joseph at Christmas. But um, it's the story of Joseph. Now, imagine how he must have felt at the first Christmas. When he, maybe he arrives home after being at work, and he, he meets his betrothed, Mary, and she greets him with the words, surprise, Joseph, good news, I'm pregnant. And guess what? God is the dad. Can you imagine how he must have felt when he heard those words? I bet the first Christmas was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a shock. I mean, that just doesn't happen, does it? Joseph's not such a fool, and we're told that he planned to divorce her quietly. Bit of a shock. But it's a staggering claim that Mary makes, well, not just Mary, that the the story makes, that this is a child, but God is the father, that Mary is, in fact, a virgin. But we're not reading it wrong. It says it over and over again. In verse 13, we're told, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then again in 20, as the angel speaks to, to Joseph... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And again in verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And in verse 25, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. So that theme is just resonated over and over and over again. Jesus was born to a virgin. Miracle. It asserts it over and over again. And this is a truly unique historical claim. And it's got a high level of disbelief factor about it, hasn't it? Let's be honest about that. You know, virgin births do not happen, right? And I don't have lots of time to go into all the sort of Christian arguments that we could, talk, we could use to discuss that sort of thing. But if you are interested, then come along on Thursday night where I'm, where I'm going to be doing a talk here in the cafe called, on, called Virgin Births and Unicorns. The idea is looking at how how we can believe and have faith in, in the miracles in the New Testament and this being one of them. But there is one really helpful piece of evidence for us in this text. And it is this, Joseph's response. Think about it for a second. Joseph would have been the hardest person to convince of this, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? He's the one betrothed to be married. Now what evidence could he possibly receive that would make him believe that his betrothed was actually pregnant with the son of God he would have been the hardest person to convince but the Lord convinces him an angel of the Lord is sent and we're told at the end of verse 24 when Joseph woke up from his dream he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife Isn't it at least a bit intriguing that Joseph believed the story himself and he took that child into his home and he took Mary as his wife and he named the child. He did everything the angel had told him to do. Now, if you were in his shoes, what would it take to convince you? You know, but but this passage isn't really about evidence. 
This passage really is about a signpost. It's, 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 Christmas is a great big surprise. And um, in the Bible, there's all sorts of miracle births, you might say. All the way through the Old Testament, there's all sorts of stories, and I won't go into all of them now, where, where, where women who weren't expected to have babies had babies. And, and when that happened in the stories of the Old Testament, they were big signposts that God was doing something new and exciting. But all of those births together were not as miraculous as the virgin birth. Because the virgin birth was, was u- truly unique. It's not, it's not something that God did any other time in history. And it's not something that God is going to do at any other time in history. So what the virgin birth, or at least one thing the virgin birth is supposed to do for us, is it's, it's, like to be, it's like it's supposed to be this big flashing neon sign that God is doing something wonderful. God has done something unique and special and powerful. And we're supposed to, to be thinking, what is God doing? Why would God do this in this way? Why would he bring his child into the world, God's son into the world, through this means? And that's the big question. So Christmas is a surprise because it's all about a baby, all about a virgin birth. It's an unexpected gift. Because what, what it says to us, what God has given you this Christmas, and every Christmas before this, and every Christmas after this, is his son. So the first Christmas gift was a surprise. And the reality is that's the reason we give gifts every Christmas. It's not because the wise men gave Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Sometimes you think that is. No, it's because at Christmas we remember that God gave us his son. That's why we give gifts. That's why we should be giving gifts. It's a way of remembering the greatest gift that was ever given. God's own son. So it's a surprise gift. But you might be thinking for a second, well, it is a surprise. But why would I need a baby son of God? Why would I need that? The next thing I want to talk about is the surprise gift we all need. Now, we all get them at Christmas, don't we? Other presents that we don't really need. You know, we do. You know, so I've been a a dad for a few years now, and every single year I seem to get a new pair of daddy socks. This one says, World's Best and Papa, which is Swedish for the world's best dad. Every year I get a pair of those, but but they're nice, and they tell me that my kids love me, but I don't really need a new pair of socks. I mean, I've got a drawer full of them at home. You know, haven't you got a drawer full of them at home? You know, I don't need another tie. I'm likely to get one, you know, and all those sorts of things. Um, I don't even need another gadget, although I'd rather like one. I don't, I don't need it. And maybe you're approaching the Christmas gift from God kind of like that. You're, kinda, you're hearing this, or God's given me his son or given the world his son. Yeah, I really fancied one of those shiny iPhone Xs. Why, what do I need a son for? That makes no sense. But actually, this story helps us to see also why we really need this gift. And we're told primarily through the two names that Jesus is given in this passage. You may have spotted them as the, as, as the, the passage went on, and I'm sure as we talk about them, you'll remember them from carols and from, from Bible readings in years gone by. The first name is, of course, Jesus. And why is he called Jesus? Well, the angel tells us, doesn't he? Because he will save his people from their sins. 
And it, Jesus literally means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And we're told what we're being saved from, and that's sin. Because God sent his son in the world to rescue us from sin. Now, sin doesn't sound too contemporary, does it? It's one of those old-fashioned words that nobody really likes to talk about anymore. Uh, we don't really believe in it, do we? It's a bit outdated. It's a bit crazy. Um, it's not one we really think is relevant in a modern culture. But let me ask you a question. Just a rhetorical question. Please don't shout out anybody. Now, earlier on, we asked the question, what did you really want for Christmas? Now, I don't mean what do you want under the tree wrapped up in a little bow. I don't mean um, what, what you're hoping that someone who really knows you will buy for you. I'm saying, what would really make this Christmas the most amazing Christmas ever? What would it be? What would you gladly give up all the tinsel, all the turkey, and all the other presents for? Maybe it's for security. Maybe it's for a broken relationship to be restored. Maybe it's, it's for guilt that you've been carrying for years over something you did that hurt someone, and you, you, you want to let that go. Uh, maybe it's your body image, and you think, you know, I wish I felt comfortable in my own skin. Maybe it's anything. But the, Now, I'm not saying these things are sin, but actually, all these things... That, that, that we think will make us complete, all these things that we find in our broken world are actually symptoms of the biggest problem we have. And yes, you've guessed it. It's the word sin. That is the biggest problem we all have. We live in a broken world, don't we? We live in a world that's messed up. We, as Christians, we would say we live in a fallen world. Um, uh, if, if you come to church regularly, you, you'll have heard the word the fall. But basically, that's referring to Genesis chapter 3. See, in Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning of the Bible, God made the world, and it was good. In fact, it was very good. There was no pain, suffering, or sadness, or anything like that. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world with harmony and peace and goodwill to all men, even if there were only two of them. You know, it, it was a place that was great to live. But in Genesis 3... What happens is, man says to God, I'm not going to obey your rules anymore. Adam and Eve decide that they should be little kings themselves, ruling their own lives, ruling the world that they see fit. They ignore the creator and choose to run the world their own way. And that's when the fall began. Now, most of you know, or some of you might not, I'm married to a Swede. That means I spend a lot of time in Ikea, right? How many of you have been to Ikea? How many of you never got out? <laughs> you would have been here, would you? Yeah, but Ikea is one of those places, and in fact, it's in my house, and every room in my house looks like a catalogue page from Ikea, which means over the years, I've spent much, many, many, many um, months and years and all that sort of stuff putting together Ikea furniture. You know, you know what it's like? The Ikea furniture comes into your house, and you open the box, and if you're anything like me, you see those really patronizing instructions. And you go, yeah, I don't need instructions. I'm a man, and I, put, I just throw those things away, or I put them in the recycling, and I get all my tools out that I think I need. And the instructions will say, two people to build, that I'll see that as a challenge, and say, no, I could do this on my own. You know, and I start to put the thing together, and then about halfway through the build, after I put everything in really tight, I realize I put the back on the wrong way around, 
which means then I have to unscrew everything that I've already done, pull them apart, and then try to put them back together. And I realize even the most simple IKEA shelves can actually be quite complicated. And I humbly go back to the recycling bin, and I pull out the, re- the instructions, and I start to read them while nobody's looking. You know, and then I put the thing together and I put it up. And I kid you not, my, a few years ago, before I got married, I had a flatmate. And we put up, a, we put up an Ikea shelf the first day we moved in there. And for the whole time we were there, all the shelves on that thing were backwards. You're thinking, how on earth could shelves be backwards? Trust me, they can be backwards. And every day I saw that, and it was a reminder that I do not know Ikea furniture as well as those that designed it. I don't know the furniture as well as as those that designed it. Um, But the reality is it's the same with the world we live in. The world was made by a good, loving God who created the world perfectly. And he knows how the world works. He's in charge. He knows how marriages work. He knows how relationships are supposed to work. He knows how society is supposed to function. And he gives us rules to follow. And we think we know better and we, th- we scrap up his rules and we throw them away. And we make ourselves little kings in his place. And we've all done it. And when things start to go wrong in our relationships, in our lives, we wonder why. But the truth is we've turned our backs on the creator. The one who knows how the world works. And we, and we live our lives according to our own rules, making our own way making a wreck, and we're living in a broken world because of it. Now, it's not just that we need to be rescued from sin because we don't obey the Maker's instructions and the world's a mess. The Bible tells us that God will hold us accountable for that rebellion, for stealing his rightful place, and for making a mess of the world. For all the sins we've done, we'll be held accountable for. So we genuinely need to be rescued from the consequences of our sin. Because God is going to judge the world in righteousness. And in Jesus, we hear the wonderful words, God will save his people from their sins. So what do you need at Christmas? Well, the one th- there are many things you may want, many things you may wish you get under the tree, but the one thing we all need is a Jesus who saves That's why God sent his son. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not die but will have everlasting life. Jesus is the savior we all need. And he is the one we've been given this Christmas and every Christmas. Well, Jesus is the surprise gift. He's the surprise gift we all need. But he's also the surprise gift in which we must marvel at The second name that Matthew gives us um, is actually taken from a prophecy that was written 700 or so years before Jesus was born. And and it's taken straight out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. And he quotes it in verse 23 of the passage we're looking at. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. You might think, well, that's odd. I thought his name was going to be Jesus. But remember, this is a prophecy. It's talking about the nature of who this child will be. And then we're told, Emmanuel, which means God with us. His second name in this passage is God with us. 
Now, this is an electrifying idea if we really, really understand it. And in fact, the whole of the book of Matthew has this as one of its central themes. It starts here and it ends with this idea as well. But like everything else in our lives, it's so easy to, to, to just take those three words, God with us, for granted. You know, like we, we turn our taps on every day and what comes out? Water. We, we, just, we expect every time we turn the tap on for water to come out. We don't ever think about what it means or where it comes from or who, how much effort has gone into getting there. And I think it's kind of like that when we, when we hear the words, Emmanuel, God with us at Christmas time. We just heard it so many times, we, we can no longer marvel at the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. So for these last few minutes, I want us to, to just think about how amazing this thing is. What is it saying about us? Well, the first thing it's saying is that when God sees our fallenness, when God sees our brokenness, when God sees our rebellion against him and all the consequences that it's caused in this world and all the things it's done in our lives, the fact that we have cut ourselves off from him, what does he do? God with us. He doesn't run away. He doesn't do this. God steps in. God literally steps into human history In the person of Jesus, he comes close to be our rescuer. God doesn't run away, he comes in. That's a wonderful thing, God with us. Christians call the wonderful doctrine of God with us as the incarnation. Maybe you've heard that before. And really what that is, it literally means in the flesh. So God came in the flesh. Now, just a few nights ago, I was going to bed, and I, I tend to draw the curtains pretty late, and it was one of those rare nights in Chesington with no clouds in the sky where I could see a few stars. You can only really see a few stars in Chesington, can't you? But I could clearly see Orion's belt. Now, someone may come up to me later on and say, Ben, it's not Orion's belt. I don't know. I thought, think it's Orion's belt, okay? And I, was lo- and I, I just looked, and I just thought, and I asked Alexa, has anyone got one of those fancy gadgets at home? I just thought, Alexa, how many miles away is Orion's belt? And Alexa gave me this number in the quadrillion miles I could, could never possibly recount. And then I realized I kind of missed something out. I said, okay, Alexa, how many, how many light years is Orion's belt away? And Alexa helpfully told me that the central star in Orion's belt is 1,330 miles, light years away. Now, what does that mean? That means that light traveling 186,000 miles a second takes um, 1,340 years to get here. That's what that means. And that's a close star. That's a close star. Okay? And that's just one star of all those wonderful, glorious stars that I can only see a few of in Chesington. You know what the Bible says about those stars? The Bible says that God called them out one by one, and he knows them all by name. And in the book of Job, as it describes all the wonders of God's creation, at the end of the book, as God is speaking to Job, he says, all of the universe, all of these things in my creation, are are just the fringes of my garments. He's saying, look, all you can see, everything I look at the stars and think how infinite all that is, and surely there's no, no end to one side of the universe to the other. God says, yeah, yeah, it's just it's nothing. It's just, it's just the edge of my T-shirt. 
you, 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 don't, you cannot comprehend how glorious and big and awesome this God is. And yet, in the Christmas story, God with us, he comes in and he gets literally dirty. The infinite glorious one comes to us as a weak and helpless baby. And there is a point in history just a couple of thousand years ago where you could have gone to a manger in Bethlehem and you could have held him in your arms. How amazing is that? That's why we sing wonderful songs. I mean, the, one, do you know the, the song, Mary, Did You Know? There's a wonderful line in that song. If you've not heard that song before, go home and, and listen to it on your phones or whatever it is. And it's, there's a little line in there that says, did, Mary, did you know when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God? Isn't that just an amazing line? The incarnation, the message of Christmas, God with us, is mind-blowing. And he did that, he came that far to save us from our sins. You know, the glorious, mighty, awesome one became a humble little baby. And it's just an amazing thing that he came in weakness and poverty, knowing how big and rich he was. But you know, there was another thing that Jesus grew up and he actually went and he died on a cross. And we're told that as he died on a cross, he died for our sins. He died to pay the penalty for our rebellion against God. That's what we're told. And as amazing it is, it is, it is to, to think of, of, of this little baby representing or being God incarnate, it's even more mind-blowing to think that this glorious, holy, loving, good, eternal God would die for you and for me. Of course, the story doesn't end there. Easter tells us that he rises from the grave to defeat death forever. And we are to marvel at this. God with us is astounding. And this should change the way we think of God. It really, really should. Maybe you've heard this quote. I'm going to quote Richard Dawkins, who's a, a famous atheist, anti-religious apologist. And these are, this is what he says about the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible and the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, forgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infocidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, uh, megalomanical, um, sadomasochistic, capricious, malevolent bully. It's quite a mouthful, really. I bet it took him a while to write that. Um, and maybe you wouldn't say things quite as powerfully as that or quite as negatively as that, but maybe you share something of that sentiment. And you think, well, uh, but, but the Christmas story, God with us, challenges you to say, well, maybe you've misunderstood who God is. What is the nature of God? If God would come as a little baby, you could never accuse him of being proud. If God is willing to die on a cross to rescue sinners like you and me, surely that changes the way we should view him. And the reality is that God came 
And he gave himself in his son. And he gave himself every day that Jesus walked on the earth. And he gave himself as he died on that cross. God gives and gives and gives of himself. Is it possible that if that is your view of God or anything like it, that you have misunderstood or missed the wonderful beauty of the message of the Bible? Let me ask you that question. Have you misunderstood the reality of the nature of God and the wonder of God with us? We all need this wonderful gift of Jesus this year. We need him. And the beauty of Christmas is that every year we get to hold out the same offer to everyone. Would you like to know this God? Would you like to know him as your savior, as your Lord, as your friend, as the one who gives you your life significance and security? The one who loves you with an everlasting, never-ending, always and forever, never giving up love. And we get to offer you that this Christmas. This is the gift that God is offering you himself. Will you take it? If you'd like to, to know more about becoming a Christian, please come and chat to me after the service. I'd love to. And chat to any of these guys up here or chat to the people that you came with. I'm sure they'd, they'd, they'd answer your questions. And maybe you, you want to come along and explore a little more here over the next few weeks. We've got things for you to come along to. Please do come. Uh, maybe in January you might want to come back to our, our, a series that we're running called Ask 3-1, which is it's just three Sunday mornings where we're looking at three questions that people in Chesington told us were the reasons they didn't come to church. First one is that the church is irrelevant and hypocritical. The second one is that um, science gets rid of a need for God. Um, and the third one is the fact that there are just too many religions to really believe that Jesus is the only way. If you have one of those questions is one of your questions, why don't you come back in January and hear what we have to say about those from God's word. But, but if you're really asking questions, please don't leave this place without asking someone. But just as we end, I would like to read to you, and before I pray, from a famous old preacher called Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And I, caught, I read this this week, and it really just caught my imagination. And I want to leave these words ringing in your ears. Let me read this to you. Oh, may God teach you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it's wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder, angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wing of science cannot fly so high. And the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. Tis the sufferer's comfort, tis the balm of his woe, tis the alleviation of misery, tis the sleep which God gives to his beloved, tis their rest after exertion and toil. Ah, and to finish, God with us, tis eternity's sonnet, tis heaven's hallelujah, tis the shout of the glorified, tis the song of the redeemed, tis the chorus of angels, tis the everlasting otrio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this wonderful, wonderful message that, that you came in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may 
be saved and so that we may know you and that we might experience your presence, Lord, not just now and in the height of a wonderful service, but so that we might experience your presence with us every day. And I do pray, Lord, for everybody hearing today, Lord, whether it's for the first time or, 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 for, or for the thousandth time, Lord, that they would hear this wonderful message and believe and that you would give them life in your name. Would you, all, would you help us, Lord, to make this Christmas different from any other we've had, not hoping in small things without trusting in the promise and power of Jesus? Amen.